Once it becomes a pattern, we want to undo it because then what starts to happen is you have sort of this response pattern that every time something happens, your knee-jerk reaction is to yell, right? Or to snap or to just shut the conversation down, right? So that might look like your kids start arguing and you're just, everybody stop. You go in that corner, you go over here, you watch your show, you sit and play your game, right? Like we just take complete control and we just shut it down, right? But sometimes we have to let that mess kind of unfold and we can guide it. We can help guide it, but our response shouldn't always be to jump and fix, stop, yell, do, right? And that that's what we want to sit with if it becomes a consistent pattern. But if you have a day where you're like, oh, got the best of me today and I totally lost my cool, that's okay. Welcome to the Women Who Want More podcast. I'm Adriana Keefe, your purpose-driven life and manifestation coach who went through my own quarter-life crisis and had to learn how to navigate that through finding what the heck I was doing with my life. I refused to believe in the culture that said women and moms couldn't have it all. And after years of figuring it out for myself, I now teach others how they can get there too. This is a podcast for women who are overwhelmed and burnt out and know there's more to this life for them. We connect with other women, moms, and business owners to find out how they got to where they are so we can learn faster how we too can ditch the overwhelm and live this life with intention and purpose. So if you're tired of the exhaustion and not having enough time for the things you love, this is the place for you. Ready to figure out how to live that more exciting and fulfilling life you've always wanted? Let's get to it. Hi, I'm Adriana, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. We're raised in a society that makes us feel inadequate from the moment we're born, leaving us trying to do and be everything to everyone. We're raised in a world where we're only as good as the money we make, the people we please, the weight we lose. As kids, we're put into schools that test everyone the same way and treat everyone as if they have the same thoughts and feelings. As young adults, we're told to take the same path as everyone else. Go to college, get a job, procreate, stay in said job until you retire, then die. But wouldn't you love to go through life with more ease, achieving your goals and attaining your dream home and personal life? Well, my friend, have I got the solution for you. It's time for you to meet Whole Harmony, the only personalized program of its kind to equip high-achieving women with the tools they need to create harmony in life without sacrificing their goals. Maybe you love your job but recently became a mom, and now you're starting to see how much time and energy work is draining from you. Maybe you have a successful career but have come to an aha moment of wanting a new future with more balance, more harmony, maybe even some more travel. Or maybe you know work is taking up too much of your schedule, leaving you feeling suffocated, disconnected from the rest of your life. Then this program is for you. Apply now at adrianakeefe.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-A-K-E-E-F-E.com. Welcome back to another episode of Women Who Want More. I have such a treat for you today. Someone who is very near and dear to my heart, although she might not know it. I've been following her before I even met her in person and before I realized she was the person that I had been following. My friend, Albiona. She is a parenting expert and it's such a funny story. I heard her on a podcast last fall and I remember sending the episode to my husband because it was so good. I think it was about raising empathic children, something along those lines and raising them consciously and all, you know, all the emotional feels, right? So I ended up meeting her when I was in a mastermind for the past six months, well, the first six months of this year. And I realized a little while after, it wasn't even right away, that she was the person who I had been listening to. And my mind was just blown. I was like fangirling over her. I was like, oh my God, your work is so great. (laughs) Now I'm so freaking happy that I've been able to meet her in person. And her, oh my God, her soul is just as beautiful in person as it is when you hear her on a podcast or when you read her blog or what like she is just a great wonderful being to be around so who is albiona rakipi she is a parenting expert she has a website a company called the parenting reframe and she helps parents reframe their daily challenges to feel empowered and equipped to raise happy healthy humans her work is just absolutely inspiring she is a wealth of knowledge 
for not only raising kids, but for taking care of mom as well, which is something I really wanted to focus on in this episode because I feel like we give so much to our children and now it's time that we need to work on us. We need to give to us. So how is mom going to be taken care of through all of this? So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please, please, please post a picture or a screenshot on Instagram, tag myself and Albiona in it, share it so that people can find her because she is a game changer for moms. I'm telling you, she's so good. Absolutely tag us, share it, please. I know that more people will find her and absolutely adore her and she's going to change their lives. She's going to change their life as a mom, as a dad, as a family. She's just doing amazing things. So Please enjoy and share. Thank you. Hello, beautiful Albiona. How are you? Good, Adriana. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited that you're here because I knew who you were before I ever even had Kelsey Murphy as my coach. And now I'm like, oh my God, I really know Albiona. Oh, <laughs> like fangirling. So oh my goodness. <laughs> thank you so much. I, it's an honor to be here and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to thank chat with you. you. And I think you probably have a really cool audience. So I'm excited to sort of tap into a little bit of that too. I do. I definitely have a great audience of women who like they, they know they want more in life, but they're trying to figure out where that more is. And a lot of them are moms, which is exactly why I knew this was a really good space to bring you in because as a mom and as someone who's ambitious, we're constantly juggling all the things, all the things. And who better to bring in as an expert for moms than you? So Aww. do you want to give a little introduction on who you are? Sure. So my name is Albiona Rakipi. I am at the moment um, a pediatric speech and language pathologist. And that's sort of what I do by day. I've worked with kids for probably 22 years now. So kids and families. And more recently, in just the last few years, I started to write a lot. I sort of decided that I wanted to kind of venture into this space of writing and writing on the topic of parenting. So writing a lot of parenting articles and um, more locally, like published in local publications in the Detroit area. And then it kind of grew and it got bigger. And then I started to create my own website called theparentingreframe.com, where I started to house a lot of my articles and resources that I started to just create for parents out of a need and really requests from parents of like, this would be helpful or um, that would be helpful. So I started to kind of consolidate everything into one home base area. And then slowly after that, I started to lean into the idea of coaching. So parents started to approach me and, and message me on Instagram or email and say, do you ever do one-on-ones? Do you ever do private sessions? Would you ever work with a family more closely? And so at first I resisted in all honesty, because I just sort of wanted to wear the writer's hat and, and hadn't really thought of leaning into that space. And then I tested it out and gave it a try and really, really, truly loved it. Like felt like I just came very alive in those sessions and, um, loved connecting with the families and, and really figuring out ways and strategies and tips and tricks to kind of help their kiddos, but more importantly, to, to really help them through this process, through this journey so that they can feel more empowered as a parent, feel more confident, have the tools that they need, but also have some of those reflective practices so that you can really continue to grow and develop yourself. Cause honestly, I think most parents look at parenting as like, I'm done growing. Now I have to pour everything into the growth and development of my kids. And the truth is, is those two things are happening simultaneously. You're still growing and you're also growing them at the same time. So I wanted to sort of put a spotlight on that. And that's what my writing originally consisted of. And so that's always been a theme throughout, whether it's creating content or working with a family, we're always looking at ways to continue to grow ourselves. I feel like you just stated what must be the reason as to why I connected with you so much on Kelsey's podcast, because I've obviously listened to other parenting coaches before parenting experts, but you said the fact that we're still growing when we become moms. And yeah. so like the society that we're in just makes it feel like you're supposed to just stop. Like you're just, you're yes. done when you're a mom, it's about them. You're done. That's it. And that's, that was something that I did not believe in and that I got a lot of pushback for when I decided I wanted more out of my life. So that must be why I found your work so appealing and why I agreed to it so much because we have the same belief systems around there. Yeah, that means a lot. And I think you're, you're spot on. And I think you're saying what so many others are saying, which is like, 
there is this sense that the minute you have kids, it should be all about the kids. You are very secondary. Your needs are secondary. And it's not even about putting it in a sequence of like who comes first, who comes second, who comes third. It's that everybody, yourself included, has needs. And how do we balance that all out and recognize the fact that the more I allow myself to grow, the better parent shows up that the next day, right? Like the better version of myself is here to parent. And so instead of negating this idea that I can't be bothered with sort of self, you know, improvement or really healing parts of myself, we, we end up, um, sort of taking away the opportunity to really tap in into something that's there that we're meant to learn so that we can then reach our kids in a more meaningful way and connect with them even further. Yes. Because I feel like that was a big thing that was missing in my childhood was those, the parents that are doing what I am trying to do with my children. And it's connecting on that level and it's being emotionally intelligent with them and being aware. And that I think is just, it's just something that you can't learn in school. It's something that the kids need at home. And that's why I think parenting coaches and parenting experts are so important just to broaden our horizons. Right. And like, we're always yeah. going to be like our parents unless we change it. And if you don't, if you didn't like that, how are you going to do it differently? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I always say it's the hardest job with the least amount of training. Right. So mm-hmm. you kind of like you have no, I mean, there are resources and things out there, but then who is it that you should listen to and what is it that you should read? And, you know, it doesn't even take into account what you sort of have created yourself in terms of a definition of what it means to parent well, or to mother a child well. So, so much of those are embedded throughout our own lives. And then when we become parents, you can't even like fathom how much of that plays a role in the decisions that you make. And you're not even really conscious of it. So it's important to really allow yourself to be part of that journey. I think it was Dr. Shafali Zabari always says like, imagine it like you and your kids are dancing together through this life, but on separate paths, right? So it doesn't mean that you're not together. It doesn't mean that you're not there to guide, help and support and love and really change each other's lives in a really meaningful way, but that your life still continues. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. What made you think when you, so going back to when you started writing, what made you think that, you know, I have enough parenting knowledge and that it's good that I should start putting it on paper? Like, where does one get that amount of confidence to know that they know what they're talking about as a parent? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And it's funny because I don't know that I would ever define myself as like, I always know what I'm talking about, but I (laughs) I did think that I had something important to lend to the conversation and just a different lens or a different way to look at it. And where it came from was, so for 20 years working with parents, certain themes always persisted. And there were multiple times that I would find myself going, like for instance, blame, right? There is this whole notion of like, like a parent wants mothers in particular, always assume blame. So what this might look like, like right now I work with children who are neurodivergent learners or might be, you know, they might be autistic or they might have a different diagnosis or comorbid diagnoses. And when I'm sitting with parents and right, these are really tricky conversations and they can be sensitive and difficult. And I try to really create a safe space where that parent feels very comfortable to express themselves and to ask any question that they may have. And what comes up frequently is this idea that I know it's my fault that they're doing this, but I can't get them to stop and fill in the blank. Right. So even the constant acknowledgement of like, I know this is my fault. I know I went wrong somewhere. I know I did something wrong. So that was one theme that kept coming up. The other thing that kept coming up was this idea of like parenting had sort of in the 20 years that I've been working through this, it sort of shifted where all of a sudden it became a situation where a parent could never do enough. So it was like, you started to see parents who were like, I need to do more. I need to give more. I'm not being present enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not giving enough. I'm not attending enough. I'm not. So this enoughness theme started to persist constantly. So I was having very similar conversations about this idea of like, well, tell me more about why you think you're not doing enough and what is enough and what do you qualify as enough? And so we started to sort of peel back layers and at the bottom or at the end of it all was every parent was really telling themselves a story of what it means to parent really effectively and well. And what ends up happening is we create this ideal parent. And the minute we don't live up to this again, fictitious ideal parent based on whatever it is that you've told yourself, 
then we feel like we fall short. We feel like we're disappointing others. We feel like the expectations weren't met. We feel like we're not doing the job we're supposed to be doing. The other problem is we hinge our accomplishments as a parent on however our child presents in this world. And that's problematic because kids are developing, learning, growing. They're meant to make mistakes. They're meant to have tantrums. They're meant to have sort of these big swings in in response to things. But when we tether our emotion, our sort of job as a parent to what they're doing, they sense that and they feel that. And then in return, we tend to have more heightened responses because it's a little more loaded for us now, right? We feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed. We feel bad. So that's going to all be tied into the way we address the behavior with our child. And so I was really working to dispel that. So all of that is to say, it's a really long sort of answer to your question, but what started to happen was I felt like those themes kept coming up. And for me, they were simple answers of just having that parent really sit, reflect, and think about their own life, the own stories they're telling themselves, how it is that they're responding. I found that parents were really parenting in a very automatic way. It just felt like everybody was on automatic pilot and reactive sort of parenting was really present for, for really good reason. It was really fair, you know, that parents are feeling that way. So um, I just thought I should sit down and write. And some of it was as a parent myself, these were things I could see in myself and they were things that I was starting to unpack as well. And that's where that piece of it came into it. And I've always loved writing. So I started to just throw a few articles out there and they started to get picked up and published. And then people started to reach out and say, can you write about, can you talk about? And so that's sort of where, where it went after that. So I felt like I was touching on something since parents were kind of going, oh, like I hadn't heard of it that way. And that, that was sort of my hope was really to create a more inclusive space where instead of kind of taking the finger and pointing and finding fault and blame, it was this idea of like, can we just unpack what it is that you're telling yourself and let's just navigate the situation from there. So you're like a life coach. And a parenting coach <laughs> in one, because a lot of this is like the parents are doing their own inner work as they go along, right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I've never done life coaching. I think it'd probably be really interesting. I love anything sort of you and I have talked about this, but I love like the human design piece. And I'm super interested in like the human condition and why people do what they do and how we sort of navigate this world. But um, kids are like so near and dear to my heart and I've worked with them for so long and I'm a parent myself and I think there's just a wisdom that comes with parenting. And at this point, my kids are 19 and 16. So I do feel like I can offer a perspective of like, I have been through a lot of those phases of parenting and I'm still in it, but it's a little different. And I do think that my sort of 2020 hindsight at this point can jump in and say, you know what? I used to stress out about that too. Let it go. Right. Like that's, that's not what you really want to spend your energy and time on, or like, think about why is that really bugging you? Because in the grand scheme of things, it's really not a big deal that they left their backpack in the spot that they weren't supposed to. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like, you oh, yeah. know, taking those little things and kind of really unpacking them and, and considering the why behind it, but then also just giving everybody, like, I feel like everyone needs a big collective, like sigh, like, well, I just want all parents to just like hunker down in a couch tonight and just take a big deep breath and be like, it's all okay. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. So it's so funny. I feel like that's why the first kid tends to be more high strung. And then like, if you have three or four kids, the, the last one is like, so laid back because like yes. now I've had three children and with the third one, you know, there's always the joke of like, oh, the third one, he gets forgotten. Like we haven't taken his 10 month photo yet. And he mm -hmm. turned 10 months like five days ago. And yeah. I I'm like, yeah, but I think at this point now we're just kind of like, yeah, he's fine. He'll figure it out. And at first we're just helicoptering and they just Absolutely. get more laid back as you go. And my younger sister, I'm the middle child of three. My younger sister is super laid back, so laid back. And it's just, I, I feel like if we had just parented like that from the get-go, we'd have all my third child, who's an angel, by the way, they would all be as laid back as him. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah. I mean, I think birth order, it's a whole other thing that we could unpack. Cause I do think you parent each sort of with each child, that parenting style probably shifts to a certain extent. And it's the same idea that I'm describing too, that like having older kids, I can sort of look back and say, don't, it's okay. Like that's not, you know, don't, don't stress about that or don't give that, that kind of energy and attention, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, no one's going to remember that. So, um, you do get more laid back and you do sort of, um, just approach it with a sense of calm because honestly you will make mistakes. 
you just will. And so I, sometimes the, one of the first parents I worked with, she was really sweet. And she was like, I just don't want to get anything wrong that my kids mean way too much to me. I just, this means so much to me. I just don't want to get it wrong. You know? And I said, okay, well you will, right? Like, let's just check that box right now. You will. And it's okay. Right. And it's okay. And it's okay for your kids to see you get it wrong. And it's okay because that's how you're going to crack open a little bit more and figure out why that's happening and really allow your kids to be a mirror right back to you. Because in so many ways, they are our greatest teachers. I've always said it for all the kids that I work with, not just my own, but I've been so lucky to work with so many different kids throughout the years. And gosh, I I remember them all. I know all their faces and they've all taught me something. You know, they've either 100% see where, where I need to work on things from my seven-year-old and the way that she acts and reacts to things. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I know where that's coming from. (laughs) Isn't that funny? I know a lot of parents will say that we actually, I do a, like a parent. I, through June, I was doing this group coaching program, which I loved. And it was like a mom check-in and we just met once a week and we kind of came on, everybody asked a question and I answered and what came out of it, which I thought was so lovely. And I wasn't anticipating it was like all the other moms, like when a mom would ask a question would be like nodding their head, like, Oh my gosh, that's happening in my house too. You know? And there was this idea of like, Oh, we're not alone in this. And sort of the fun part of it too, was that, you know, you just got to kind of guide them and help them and answer these questions and, and really allowed them to see themselves and other people's stories. And what came up too, was that what you're saying about your seven-year-old is that some kids do what I call like energy matching. So for some children, they will match the energy of the parent and they will almost become more combative. So like if you escalate, they escalate. If you deescalate, they can come right back down too. So, so much of it is intertwined. You also have some kids who will do the opposite, meaning when your energy gets heightened or your response gets a little bit higher and they can sense the stress, they have learned to sort of reduce and calm themselves down to keep things calm or to be accommodating, right? So it it plays out differently depending on temperament and and things like that and a lot of other variables. But what you're describing is true. And one of the moms in the group had, had described it that way. And she's like, that is my daughter. Like I see myself, I know she's responding the way I would respond to distress or the way I would respond if I'm frustrated. And because we're both in that frustrated headspace, it's like two, like, you know, we're just coming at each other in all the wrong ways. And so we kind of looked at that and, and considered other ways of, of, of addressing it and really awareness is a huge one. Right. So even the fact that you're aware of it and that you're seeing it with your seven-year-old is awesome. I know, but like a part of me is like, but how do I change? Like if I change how I react to things now, Mm -hmm. will, is, is she changeable at this point? Of course. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Of course. Will she pick up on that? I mean, so we're always changeable, right? So, I mean, just to put it in a different perspective and to reframe that a little bit, like who I am. And I was saying this to you when we were in uh, San Diego a couple of years ago, like, I'm sorry, a couple of weeks ago, but I was saying that like who I was 10 years ago and who I am now is different. And it isn't at all bad. Like I loved when I was 32 and I love myself even more at 42. Right. And so my hope is that when I'm 52, I'm saying the exact same thing because the hope is that we do keep changing and evolving and growing and, and that we're understanding things in a more complex way. So for you and your daughter, that relationship will constantly be evolving and changing. So the idea that you think at seven, it's like, well, we've, this is cemented. This is how I am. And this is how she is like, we're done. You know, that's a really like interesting way to look at it too, because you can only change yourself and through doing so, and through changing some of the ways you're responding, it will shift the way that she responds back to you. Oh yeah. I have to keep that in mind. I absolutely love what Harmony taught on your podcast, if you got, you guys have to listen to the Parenting Reframe podcast because our friend Harmony Slater taught with the finger breathing. Yes. I haven't had to use it yet, but that's absolutely in my back pocket because that's what comes up for me when I think of energy matching is like, I will stop and tell my kids to breathe or things like that. And mm-hmm. I think that that finger tracing breath work is just yeah. amazing because a it's lot a of really times they like, can't calm down, but if I give them something tangible to like do, then maybe yeah. that'll help. I love stuff like that. So that's a really good one. And I love it. I, I had posted a reel on this not that long ago and it it actually was amazing to me because it's so simple, but so many parents were like, I tried this and it was great. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't think I was sharing anything that was too earth shattering, but I, I guess I'm wrong, but counting to five 
either up to five or back from five. Let's say you have a child who might not understand like a breathing practice, right? Let's assume a little younger than your seven-year-old. And if we say, take a deep breath, sometimes that's abstract because we are automatically just breathing. So the idea of like, I am doing that. What do you mean? Can feel a little bit like to a child who's a little bit younger, that direction might not always land. So I think it's important too, to have a few other tactics or ways of addressing it. So like emotional regularity can be reached if you just even get them to count and just through counting, it's doing the same thing. If you can study the rate at which you're counting. So if you're like one, two, three, four, five, right. Even that just starts to bring that heart rate down, starts to help them with their breathing or like the Mel Robbins five second rule. You can go back and do five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Let's reset. Right. And so sometimes it just gives them the language and the tools to just interrupt that response pattern, interrupt that reactive behavior that they might be doing. A lot of times for younger kids, it's impulsive things that we're trying to help with. And it's because that part of their brain is still developing. And so we see impulsivity in several children, but we still want to foster good development, right? We want to help them. I mean, you can't just go and kick somebody when you're not happy with the outcome. Right. Oh, so we man. want to, we want to, yeah, right. So we want to still put some tools in place and teach them. But at the same time, you know, just counting sometimes can be a huge stress reliever. And it also calms you, the parent down because mm-hmm. you're counting with them. So you are inadvertently making it so that you are also regulating your breathing and you are also going to be a lot more likely to show up for them in a better way in a healthier way. I can attest to that because I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Tiger since your kids are a little older. I know of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole Mr. Rogers neighborhood, whatever. But it, that show is great when it comes to teaching like emotional intelligence and things like that. And our toddler, she's a very um, highly emotional girl. And that Daniel Tiger teaches, I think it's like um, when you're feeling mad and you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. And then, so Mm -hmm. then we count to four and that works. I'd say 90% of the time, sometimes she turns and screams at us and says, I don't want to (laughs) count, but a lot of the time it works really well. I never thought of just counting. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's great because music's really effective too, right? Like, so if you can put a little song to it, or if you can do anything, that's anything that you're essentially looking for a way to give them an opportunity to just completely redirect that thought pattern, right? So if her knee-jerk reaction is to sort of have a very big emotion and she's very upset and we want to help her get some coping skills, it's okay that she's feeling that way. It's okay that, you know, I would name it and just go, I know that you're mad, you know, but it was time to stop playing at the park or we can't have another cookie, right? But I know that you're mad, right? We want to exercise empathy. We want to connect with them. We want to show them that we understand why they're feeling that way, but that it doesn't change the outcome, but that they can feel any way that they want to feel. It's just that we're going to sort of hold that boundary lovingly and kind of just remind them that we are, we are, we are going to hold this space for you if you're feeling this upset. And then we do that for a couple of reasons. One is you want them to sort of process those emotions. And then the other piece of it too, is that we want kids to get effective or if at least healthy, start developing healthy habits around emotional regularity. So for example, let's say your toddler has a really big response to not being able to have a second cookie, right? And so now she's throwing herself on the ground. She's crying. She's screaming. She's very upset. She's insisting she gets another cookie. She's asking you, she's asking dad, right? She's just trying everything. And in an effort to stop this from happening, though, you might not give her the cookie. You might give a second offering like, okay, you can't have a cookie, but how about goldfish crackers? Or how about, and so now we go in and we, something else is offered or we do something else. And we're doing this because we want to stop sort of that big tantrum from happening. And it's well-intended and we mean well when we're doing it. But the problem when we do that is it just tells her that it doesn't give her the chance to come down from that big emotional response. And that's what we want to see. And so when we jump in and we give a second offering or a third offering or a fourth offering until something finally lands in the mind of a child, it's like, when I have these big responses, the more intense they get, something beneficial is going to come my way, right? It might not have been the first thing I was crying about, but I'm getting something out of this Mm -hmm. where it's okay to have that arc of like, cry, cry, get really, really upset and then bring yourself right back down. And that's okay. Yes. And a piece of what you said there with like giving them space and telling them it's okay to feel 
and to take that space to feel, I feel like that's something that we tend to teach our kids and we forget to do for ourselves. And that popped up and I thought of mom guilt and how we, there's like so much around mom guilt and the the way that we don't let ourselves feel the feelings around that and give ourselves space to feel feelings just like we want to do for our kids. When you hear the words mom guilt, what comes up for you? What, What are your feelings around it? Yeah. Mom guilt is really an interesting one. So I did write an article for Detroit mom about this, and this is the way I teach it in a coaching session too, or when I'm doing group work. So mom guilt for the record, I feel like will never completely go away. So we want to completely dispel this idea that like, you'll, you'll completely, um, you know, eliminate it. I think it's a little, you know, it's, it's far reaching to think it's just going to be gone. But what we want to do is we want to have a way of addressing it so that we are aware of it and it doesn't consume us. So that's the difference between like, I have mom guilt versus like mom guilt is consuming me so bad. I feel so down about myself all the time. Right. I never can get through the day without feeling like I'm getting it right. So I walk parents through their moms through three sort of questions to ask themselves or three steps to take. So the first thing is like, when you're just starting to feel those feelings of guilt, just name it without any kind of judgment, without anything, you're just going to say, I'm feeling guilty right now. I can sense that guilt has entered my body. I am feeling guilty about whatever it is. Maybe it's that dinner went wrong. Maybe it's because you were late getting to your child's game. Maybe it was because you were late dropping them off to school, whatever it is, you, you know, now it's, it's there. So you just name it. The next thing you want to ask yourself is I feel this way because, and you fill in that blank. And for a lot of moms, we want to sit with that for a second. And again, removing any judgment, right? Don't, don't try to defend it. Don't try to explain your, why you're feeling that way. Just, you're going to go, I feel this way because I feel like moms who are unorganized, get their kids late to school. I feel like moms who are bad moms, you know, quote unquote, are the moms who miss a game that's really important to their kid this way, because a good mom is always calm, cool, and collected and doesn't yell at her kids. I feel guilty because I made my child, I disappointed my child and didn't do the thing they wanted me to do. I feel this way because right. So whatever it is, whatever that event sort of prompted you to feel it's important to name it. And then the last thing you want to do, and this is Byron Katie's work is uh, you just want to ask yourself, is it true? And nine out of 10 times, if you sit with it, it isn't true. And the, the reason I do this exercise is because I think mom guilt is really housed in a narrative that we are telling ourselves about what it means to be a good mom. And it comes from a lot of different things that were seeded into us from a very young age until this very day right now. So maybe it was the way your own mother raised you. And for some people who had a wonderful relationship with their mom, like I'll put myself in that category, we almost feel like we have to be the mom that we had, right? For some people who didn't have a great relationship with their mom or felt like their mother might've been more absent or more neglectful or whatever the case was, we want to sort of make that pendulum swing so far the other way that we want to compensate and be everything our mom wasn't. And so now we've created another narrative about what it means to be a good mom. And it's this polar opposite to what it is that we felt like we were lacking. So we're telling ourselves these stories. We compare a lot. What's another mom doing? What's this mom doing? And that's what really elicits and prompts that mom guilt. So if you walk through those steps, you start to kind of attach and see like, oh, I totally know where I got that from. Like one for me, just to put myself out there as an example, like growing up, it was really important that your house was tidy and clean and put together, right? Like cleanliness was godliness. It just really meant you were a really put together mom. You had your house in order. You were organized. You cooked a great meal. Your home was tidy, all those things. So when I had kids and they were about probably like 10 and 13 at this time, and I was working more and I was really overwhelmed and I was trying to kind of be everything to everyone and running all over the place. And I'd walk in after school and I'd see the kids bags all over the place. There was like papers on the counter and it just, for me, it triggered me because growing up that would have indicated that you weren't doing a great job. If somebody saw your house in complete chaos, if they saw papers all over the place, if they saw things were put in the wrong place, right? That was sort of how we measured the job you were doing. So all of a sudden I would have these big sort of yelling reactions to my kids of like, who left this here? And why is this over here? And, and that was coming from my own stuff. That wasn't really them. 
right? Even though they knew where to put their bags and what to do, it doesn't really matter. It's not worth getting upset, right? It's not worth losing your cool. But for me, that spoke to a different story that I was telling myself. I was telling myself, you're missing the mark. Look around you. This is symbolic of it. Your house is a mess. And you're not doing the job that you need to be doing, right? That was sort of rooted in my idea of what it meant to be a good mom. And I promise you, the second I let it go and I just kind of was like, whatever, my kids started to take their backpacks up to their room. I didn't have to bug them anymore. It was like something energetically happened where I released (laughs) it. And I promise you, they like turned around and just started to get it. So I always kind of like walking through those steps because I think it can help us unpack some of those things we're telling ourselves that truthfully aren't really helpful. I'm glad that you said that because I really wanted to ask you if you have ever yelled at your kids because like, (laughs) like actually what, what's your perspective on that? Like, do you really think there are moms out there who genuinely have never, ever yelled at their kids? I mean, maybe I would find it highly unlikely. I just, I can't imagine. Um, I'm a really calm person. I think just by nature. Yeah. Like, so for even me to yell is like pretty, (laughs) takes a (laughs) lot, but I mean, yes, it's, it's impossible not to, do you know what I mean? Like it is life, right. And you're, everyone has moments and everybody has days where it's like, I cannot handle one more thing going wrong today. And then something happens and you're, you know, knee deep trying to figure out the next dilemma. So it is natural to have a response like that. It is natural to yell. I think where we get it wrong sometimes is we think children are so fragile that like, if we lose our cool, we we've damaged them and there is no room for repair. Right. And the truth is it's just another good opportunity to show them how life does this to us sometimes. And we have the control to think about how we want to proceed. And let's take this opportunity to learn and grow and figure out why and what can we change if it becomes a pattern and show your kids that process, apologize to them. Just say, Hey, you know what? I lost my cool back there. And I know, I know I shouldn't have spoken to you that way, but here's what I was trying to say. And that wasn't okay for me to do that right? It's okay. You want to show them that process of what that looks like. Like I made a mistake. I sat with it. I have to go now take accountability. And I also want to still communicate the point I was trying to convey in the first place, right? So there is so much to learn there instead of putting up a perfectly, you know, this perfect picture that doesn't exist. And then our kids have the messaging that you have to always be this way. You can't feel an emotion that doesn't fall under that umbrella. You have to be the perfectly put together person all the time. And that's just not accurate. So I think it's important that we don't look at it as this really fragile, delicate situation, but that we just let things unfold. And we know that there is always room to repair and fix and change and improve. I'm so glad that you gave that answer because I know that there's a mom listening to this right now who is like, oh, thank God. So like my neighbor next door who looks at me funny when I snap at my kids, obviously at some point she has yelled at her kids too. So she has to understand because I know we can, you know, there's those memes that go around on the internet. That's like, oh, it's summer. It's open window season. Neighbors get ready to hear me (laughs) yell at the kids or whatever. And a lot of times we feel like, oh God, we're that mom. But I think that I really think that every mom has had that mom moment. Definitely. I I don't think that there really could be someone who's never accidentally yelled at their kids. No, no. And again, think of the pressure you're putting on yourself. I mean, it's impossible. So yeah, I think again, like what I try to get at with, especially with the clients that I work with too, is once it becomes a pattern, we want to undo it because then what starts to happen is you have sort of this response pattern that every time something happens, your knee jerk reaction is to yell, right. Or to snap or to just shut the conversation down, right? So that might look like your kids start arguing and you're just, everybody stop. You go in that corner, you go over here, you watch your show, you sit and play your game, right? Like we just take complete control and we just shut it down, right? But sometimes we have to let that mess kind of unfold and we can guide it, we can help guide it, but our response shouldn't always be to jump and fix, stop, yell, do, right? And that that's what we wanna sit with if it becomes a consistent pattern. But if you have a day, where you're like, well, got the best of me today. And I totally lost my cool. That's okay. Yeah. I love that. It is okay. Cause parenting Mm -hmm. is hard, hard, hard work. So hard. I'd love for you to give some insight on 
women who, you know, either have a corporate career or have their own business and they're so busy, but they also have children that they want to spend time with. And they're constantly trying to battle that whole, you know, being present and being intentional with their time. Um, obviously they're probably having some mom guilt around that. Like what's your best advice for women who are trying to be and do it all? Yeah. So I think back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, look at what that story is you're telling yourself. I think I would start right there because a typically, if we're thinking of a mom who has a corporate job, has maybe a lot of ambitions in her career, rightfully so, what what's coming with that? Because nine out of 10 times when I'm talking to a mom who's in that position, she's saying to herself things like, um, although I'm great at my career, I'm completely failing at this mom thing, you know? So it's almost like they're telling themselves deep down, you really can't have both. And for a long time, I think people did believe that, right? Like there isn't enough time in the day. Something has to give. You're going to have to sacrifice either being a good mom or being a career woman, right? And so what is the story you're telling yourself? Because that's always at the root of whatever it is that you're feeling, right? And those are the things you're going to see. Meaning if I'm feeling in my mind, like, oh man, since I'm a working mom, that means I'm not going to be able to attend to my kids the way that a stay-at-home mom would. And now I have this story that I'm telling myself every time I'm with my kids. And let's say they say something like, we missed you today when you were at work. The way I hear that, because it goes through that filter of that story is you um, chose work over me. And I wish you didn't choose work over me and that you could just be home with me where that's not really what they're saying. Right. But because we are filtering it through that story, we're always going to hear it in a skewed way. So start there. You want to tell your, you want to ask yourself that the other thing you want to think about too, is we've looked at this time and time again, it's really about the quality of time that you're spending, not the quantity of time that you're spending. Right. So as long as your children are in situations where they're truly cared for, and you know, they're getting good, they're in a good loving environment. And you have a partner who's maybe co-parenting with you. And, you know, there's a lot of benefit that's coming out of that you're still their mom. You are still their mom. So they, that quality of time is important so that you can carve out these special moments and this time that you're spending together. And by special moments, I don't mean it has to be elaborate. Special moments can be like, let's hang out and have dinner together on the living room floor today on a blanket, right? It could be that you're coloring together and you're connecting over how the day went. It could be that, you know, for an hour every night, you know, I have a friend of mine, they take all their cell phones and they lock them up in a box and there are no cell phones after a certain time because she's got a really busy career. So she knows she has to completely turn that part of herself off when she comes home. And that's a huge step, right? That's going to completely change the way she's even interacting with her kids. If she doesn't have the constant distraction of her phone. So I would think about that, look at quality, not quantity, figure out what that story is that you're telling yourself and, you know, really work through that because it's likely not true. Go back to that question and ask, is it true? And then the third thing is if you are experiencing significant burnout, because that is real. And I think when you are working a very busy sort of job where you're feeling really drained, and then you are coming home to the demands of what it is to be a parent and a household owner and a partner and all these other things, it can feel overwhelming. So really prioritize and simplify that schedule a little bit. Like where can you cut things out? Where can you outsource? It took me a very long time to outsource. And the minute I did, I was so happy that I did. Right. So like, where can you start to take some things that are really draining you and really sucking the time away and, and really just an energy drain. And where can you kind of divvy that up and send that out elsewhere? So those are the things that I would tell a parent who is really, or a mom who's really like knee deep in that guilt because you can have it all. You know, I really believe it. I really believe it. It's just a matter of your mindset, what you're telling yourself, the way you're showing up in those roles in your life and how much you're filling that cup up for yourself too. I agree wholeheartedly. Definitely. What's the first thing that you decided to outsource? My house getting cleaned. Yes. That's what everyone says. Yeah. That was a tough one, especially like cultural upbringing. Like we were so like, I'm, I'm Albanian. And so there was like such, like I said to you earlier, there was so much emphasis around like keeping a clean home and, 
and who could cook really well. And I still cook a lot and I'm, I'm a good cook, but I had to give up the house cleaning. It was just driving me crazy and it was draining me. And it was like, and if I didn't get to it, then I would feel bad about not getting to it. So it was like this constant hamster wheel of like mm-hmm. not being happy about it. So yeah, it was the best thing I did. And my husband had been telling me for so long, he's like, you work a lot of hours. Why don't you just, we should just hire somebody. We're both busy. We both want to spend time with the kids on the weekend. We don't want to be divvying up chores and telling them to go keep busy doing something else. So anyways, long story short is I, I did that. And that was, oh my gosh, like it's literally till this day, my favorite thing. Like when I come home and it's just, everything is in order and it like, oh, just warms my heart. Yeah. <laughs> we, so good. we invested in having cleaners last year when I was pregnant with our third. Mm-hmm. And then my husband quit his job in December of this past year. It was a good thing. Like he was very yeah. burned out. Um, so we decided to cut back on some things and the cleaners was one of them and boy, do I miss them? Oh my gosh. Uh, I walk around the house, like looking at like the dog hair that accumulated in just one day. And I'm like, I miss them so much, but I know that we'll get back there because yeah. that was, it was so refreshing. Like knowing I didn't have to take my Friday morning or my Saturday morning to clean our whole two level house. Like yeah, that was gold. <laughs> Definitely. And it's a game changer, right? Yeah. So those are some of the things you can look at doing, like, what can you outsource? What can you give, you know, to something else? What can you let go of, right? Sometimes we overschedule ourselves because we're trying to be accommodating to so many people. So there are times where you can say no to things, right? When you're expected to be somewhere, you can kind of go like, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to that, or I just can't really make that event or whatever it is. And, you know, really being thoughtful about how you want to spend your time. Yeah. It all goes back to that story. Like you're saying that story that we tell ourselves, literally every thought we have goes back to how we were raised, what the story ingrained in our head is. And that's such powerful work. If you actually sit down and analyze it and look at it. Yeah, absolutely. When I'm curious around, um, around thinking about like the busy, ambitious mom who is trying to do it all, but burning themselves out. Like if I say the word balance, what does that mean to you? So balance is interesting. I always feel like it's a, such a lofty sort of um, term that everyone hears and, and thinks of it differently. So um, I, I like to reframe the idea of balance. And for me, um, balance is fluid. Like it's not the same. It changes. And I think that balance needs to be looked at and addressed every day. So like, for instance, a practice that I like doing is like every morning you can ask yourself, what does balance look like for me today? Because some days, depending on what's happening in your life, and if it happens to be a particularly hard week or hard day, maybe just getting out of bed, taking a shower and putting one foot in front of the other is what balance looks like that day. And maybe another day, you know, you have a pretty big schedule and you have a lot of things and boxes to check on your, on your list, but you're feeling good about the work that you're doing. You're feeling good about some of the activities that are taking place. You're excited about it. It's really filling you up. So balance might look a little different for you that day. You know, you're going to knock those five things out and that you're going to do them in a way that feels good to you. And then afterwards you're going to, you know, celebrate and do something to just kind of end the day or calm yourself down. And then I like to do weekly check-ins. So at the end of each week, I think it's really important to look back and say what worked and what didn't, you know, because I don't like the idea of waiting too long because then we've developed new habits and we've created new things in our schedule. And then the longer we let that sit there, the harder it is to go back and change it. So it's important to do a weekly check-in and just kind of say like, what worked this week and what didn't. And some weeks you'll be like, Hey, this felt great. Like this was a good week. I liked that. I said no to these two events. I loved that. I said yes to a, B and C this felt really good. My day felt like I got a lot done in terms of productivity. And I think it's, that was my sweet spot. I was able to kind of schedule in what felt right. Um, you know, I always feel like you have to know what time of day works for you. Like, I think it's Daniel pink who wrote the book when, um, and he talks a lot about like, If you're a night owl, if you're a morning person, like I'm a total morning person. So I wake up really early and I, my, that's my time. Like I just can get a lot done through my morning hours. And then I sort of taper through the evening. Um, so again, knowing that and utilizing that in a way that's going to help you feel better, but yeah, it always is going to come down to these self check-ins, do the self check-in, do the work, ask yourself, what could you have let go of? What really didn't matter? You know, maybe you said yes to something that in the end, you just did it to be a 
you know, a pleasing factor. You didn't want to let somebody down. Maybe you did it out of feeling guilty, right? Like look at all of those places that felt like it took a little too much out of you and sit with it and kind of look at what can change for the following week. I feel like the theme of all of this episode and this work is awareness. Like there's awareness that we need to do around everything, whether it's parenting our kids or whether it's our schedule or it's the stories in our head. It's just like being present and aware of what's happening. And I think there's a big push for that culturally right now with meditation and yoga kind of becoming more popular, but it's like, I think it's essential to what we do each and every day. Yeah, I, I do. I, I work a lot on awareness with parents because I think, you know, life's busy and I think we end up falling into, you know, we create habits and they're not meant to be good or bad. It's just for whatever reason, we've just started to do things in this very automatic way. And, and we just put one foot in front, like sometimes you can drive somewhere and you're like, I don't even remember like, did I stop at that light? Did I like, yes. you don't even have a memory of doing it's it. It's just like muscle memory of like turning. That's right. right. Yeah. And our days can start to feel like that. So I think there is something to be said about, you know, creating some distance or space where you're just kind of zooming that camera lens out and even like hovering, or I always say like a meta awareness, like almost an out of body moment where you are seeing yourself. And I do this a lot as my kids got older, I started to work on this um, the four steps of that I call par, which is pause, acknowledge, respond, reflect. And really it's, it's that same idea. Like you have to first build in a pause so that you can make room to acknowledge or be aware that I'm triggered. I'm upset. Um, this isn't hitting me right. I'm not, you know, I'm about to lose it. I'm about to yell. I'm about to have an emotional reaction, whatever it is. Um, and then respond. And sometimes just that quick pause and that quick acknowledgement, like for me, sometimes my response might've been, what might've been an annoyed reaction to something my son was asking me, or my daughter was asking me might've then turned to, you know what, just give me a couple of minutes, right? Because I could have, I quickly reframed and saw it differently in that moment. Or, and then the last R and par is reflect. So sitting with that and, and kind of saying like, what was that? Why did that get to me so much? Why did that question bother me? You know, like as my kids became more independent and they would ask to do more things and they wanted their autonomy, they wanted to go out with friends by themselves. And I was scared. And there's, you know, all these things you're telling yourself, they'll get hurt. They'll get with the wrong crowd. They'll, you know, like you're, you're so afraid to let them explore. And because, you know, they just are going to make a lot of mistakes. And so my knee jerk reaction was to say no. And when they try to follow up with like a, but why, or whatever, I would like just shut that down really quickly. And then I would get really triggered. And in part, it was because I was operating from a place of fear instead of really empowering them and entrusting in them that like, Hey, you know what? I believe in you. And I think you know what to do in those situations. And guess what? You're going to have moments when you do the wrong thing and that's okay. I'm going to still be here for you. The deal is is you come true, right? Like the deal is you come to me. And that's what my husband and I have both always said to both kids, like you're going to mess up and it's not because you're bad. It's because you don't have enough life experience, but try to be smart about it. Here are some things to think about. If you're not sure, call me, call so-and-so, call your aunt, call your uncle, name other adults they can go to. And then if that mistake still happens, because that, that is life, you still let us know, you tell us, right? So I think we learn to frame that differently, but that all came as a result of me acknowledging and being aware of the fact that I was the no mom out of a place of fear. And then when I sat and reflected on it and I started to see my response pattern to what they were asking and how triggered I was, I had to really sit with like, what is it I'm telling myself? Why can't they go out with their friends? It's not an unreasonable ask, you know? And then I'm, I'm really kind of sitting with it and all this stuff starts to come up of like, I'm afraid I'm this, I'm that. And then I had to start really unpacking that and going like, so if they make a mistake, how's that going to feel? You know, and I had to look at like my own ego in it of being mom and wanting to make sure they presented a certain way to this world where at the end of the day, it's their journey, it's their life. They have to experience it, mistakes and all, and that's going to grow them to being the best version of themselves. So I've got to really figure out how to get myself out of the way here. So that was the result of that. And so I started to use PAR and I teach a lot of parents to use PAR because I think it's a great tool for those instances where you're finding those, like, I call them like the, the, the persistent arguments. Like you're like, didn't we just talk about this yesterday? And I said, Mm -hmm. no, and he's asking me again. And right. So there's that type of thing where I think it's better to sit with it and kind of go like, why, why am I going toward that response all the time? Or what's coming up for me? I love that. You said like, get out of their way and let them, you know, experience this journey. That is life. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't think many of us think about it like that. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. So like I had written an article and it was five things that I tell that come that I would recommend to all parents. And one of them is create spaces, not expectations. So like, we are so like, we just have ex- expectations of our kids. And as they get older, those grow. And I don't mean like A's and B's and, and go to the best school. Like that's part of it, but even in how they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do and the way they're supposed to behave and how they should respond and write all this other kind of stuff. And I think what's more important is instead of having such a linear outlook, that's always attached to one outcome. Like why not create a space where they can thrive? Like, what do they need? to feel that way. Like if I want to teach my kids how to be respectful, what space do I create? So that respect is taught and respect is earned and respect is modeled. And you know, what is that space? What does it need to have so that they walk away just kind of knowing what respect is and really doing it with integrity. And there is a difference instead of just insisting on it, right? Like you better be respectful. Like, what does that even mean? Right. So really kind of thinking of the space you're creating versus just naming an expectation and creating a one-way road to it. I'm not looking forward to like the teenage years, but I feel like (laughs) with your guidance, I can nail it. I'm just like, like, I feel like now I'm like, okay, we can do this. We've still got some time, but I know know Albiona, so we can do this. (laughs) That's right. Yep. You let me know, keep calling me, but it's interesting. I think that it's, there are challenges and and really beautiful things about every phase, right? So like when they're little, I always think like the younger children to me, that phase of parenting is, I mean, it's so fun and they're so sweet. And the just seeing the world through their eyes, I think is so magical, but where it's exhausting is like, it is a physically tiring phase of parenting, right? You're not sleeping good. You're not well, you're, I can't remember when my kids were little, like how many times you would be eating and it was just interrupted at all times. Like that would be our joke of like, I can't wait till I just can eat a meal uninterrupted or not standing at my kitchen. That's counter why like, I eat on our in. calls on Wednesday, because I get to sit here <laughs> uninterrupted and eat while we have a coaching call. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you miss that. You're like, what does it feel like to just sit and eat and not yep. somebody doesn't pull me, grab me, call me. So, you know, it's a physically exhausting phase. Then I think as they start to get older, it starts to get a little easier in terms of the physical demands. Like you're going to sleep again. Um, They can do a little more for themselves. So you're not constantly up and down and helping and doing, but that's where you're going to kind of teeter between like, how involved do I need to be? And when do I need to pull back? Because up until then you've been really hands-on. And then as they get older, that's going to be your biggest battle too, of like letting go. And they might you know, do things that you think are questionable, but you're going to have to really think about like, what do they really need? And maybe that's something they have to go through. And I've got to really sit back here and, and see how it all plays out. And so like, that can be the tough part is that surrender piece. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for all of this information. Is there anything else that you came today feeling like you needed to share or wanted to get out there? Yeah, no, I just love sitting and chatting with you. Um, you know, I love doing this work. So I, I'm going to, you know, still keep doing some coaching sessions. I have a couple of spots that I, I will have in the summer, but that I'm going to reopen some more in September. I know summertime is sort of a busy time for families and kiddos, but you can always t- kind of go to the website and sign up for a discovery call if you feel like um, those are free and we just kind of talk. And there are times where I'll say like, I don't know that I'm your person, but I can point you in a different direction. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I know a lot of people in this space and um, in child development and even with, through the teen years. So, um, I'm always happy to do that, but in most cases, if I, if I can help you out, I usually will try to guide you down a path where you get to really enjoy this parenting journey and you get to really re-embrace it and love the kids that you have and learn to parent the kids you have and learn to be the parent, you know, you're, you can be right. Because we had them and we're excited to have them for yeah. a reason. And then mm-hmm. we, we lose that along the way we get lost in the shuffle and the grind yes. of every day. This totally. has been so great. Where can people besides the parenting where do you want people to keep up with you? So I'm on Instagram. So you can follow me at the parenting reframe, um, on Instagram. I'm, I just started TikTok, So it's very new for me, but Ooh. I try to do quick little videos of like a quick two minute or three minute tip or a trick or something to, to reframe or something to think about in a different way. So those have been a lot of fun. They're not fancy. I don't do any dancing. I don't do any, <laughs> like, I don't know how to add things to it. I don't know how to do transitions. It's literally me talking. I also have a podcast by the same name, the parenting 
parenting reframe. And that's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's me just kind of pretending like I'm coaching you. So I'll take a question and I will give an answer on the podcast. And we'll like, for instance, we talked about, I talked about hitting in the last episode and how to get kids to stop hitting and how to reframe the idea of hitting. I think parents of kids who hit feel very shameful and embarrassed. And so what ends up happening is they parent them from that place. And the child who's hitting is not doing it to be personal or to make you feel that way. It's because of a different need. So what ends up happening is we just have this like mismatch in the way that we're addressing it and approaching it. So I talk a lot about, you know, I give my, my two cents on that and some ways to solve it and and ways to work around it. So, and then I get guests on there too, which is awesome. So like you had mentioned, um, harmony was on there talking about breath work. And, um, I had my brother who is a coach of like high level athletes. So we talked a lot about like, how do you cultivate and foster like a competitive spirit in kids, but in a way that feels healthy where Mm. we're taking into account, like, you know, mental health and pressures and, and where do we land That's on good. all of that? Yes. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. We had a great time doing that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just getting it started, but I, I love the podcast. I love it. And I can't wait to keep growing it and, and having more people on it's, it's just my hope there. And, and always with everything I've done is just to create a space where parents can feel seen, heard, and really supported because there is no right or wrong way to parent. You just got to figure out what works for you. I mean, you there, you just have this energy that it's so clear that you're passionate about what you do. So thank you so much for all the work that you do for the parents, all the work that you do for the kids and especially for podcasting. I mean, that's just an easy, accessible way for people to learn from you. So I'm so glad that you got into that space. That's just amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Any links we mentioned will be linked in the show notes below. And if you'd like to learn more about me and how I can help you or how you can implement small steps into each day for big change and how I can help you live the life you've always wanted, head over to adrianakeith.com for free downloads and courses. And of course, join in the conversation in our free private Facebook group community at Women Who Want More with Adriana Keith. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram at Audrey Keith, A-D-R-I Keith. I'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't already, please click subscribe and drop me a review. I'd love to hear your feedback. Till next time, my friend, stay awesome.